Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. I am with the founder of this show today, Mark Sisson, and we have a big announcement here at the top of the show. This will be the last episode of the Primal Blueprint Podcast, but don't fret because next week it will become the Primal Kitchen Podcast, hosted by co-founder and president of Primal Kitchen Foods, Morgan And I am launching my own brand new show this week called The L. Rush Show, so we are not all completely disappearing. Mark Sisson, how are you? I'm great. Hey, I was just thinking you said that. One door closes and two doors open. (laughs) That's right. It's so true. And you know, I've worked with you for almost, uh, worked for you for almost a decade. And I want to just walk down memory lane a second. You know, when I started working for you, you had just started a publishing company and then you launched the podcast. And then the reason Brad and I kind of ran in there and took over to host it because you, you decided to create your own mayonnaise. I I guess what was the moment and inspiration for you that you're like, you know what, that's it. I'm going to make my own mayonnaise. Well, I mean, there, there's so many um, opportunities that I've come across in my lifetime uh, very grateful for all of them, but there was a point at which uh, I had been uh, selling supplements for almost 30 years and quite successfully, I might add. Uh, and I had launched um, Mark's Daily Apple as sort of a vehicle to <clears throat> espouse my ideas about health and fitness, but also as a platform to sell direct to consumers my supplements. And over the years, the the idea behind educating the public on ways in which you could enhance your performance and your lifestyle by supplementing or working out better or getting more sleep, uh, you know, or, or choosing the right kinds of food, uh, you know, sort of morphed into this idea we call the primal blueprint, which was basically the 10 laws for, for living that, that I have. Um, and I, I started doing seminars and I started, uh, as, as you know, I I published not only my own books, but other books, um, including yours, uh, the Paleo Thyroid Solution, which is an awesome book. Uh, and, you know, over a, as time rolled on, I realized that personally, I was writing so much about food and how to make it uh, not just tasty, but better for you and healthy and, and the right sorts of choices and what to eliminate. I realized that one of the things that makes food so delicious and makes a, a healthy lifestyle sustainable are the methods of preparation, the sauces, the dressings, the toppings, the herbs and spices and the way you you cook things. And sort of an aha moment for me was when I realized that there were no companies that were making really good sauces and dressings. And, you know, I'd I'd thought for a while that there were some trying to do that. Um, I won't name names, but Annie's was one that was trying to do it and and didn't do it. And, um, uh, And Paul Newman, you know, Newman's own and you know, this guy had been my hero as a, as a when I was growing up as a child. This guy was a tough guy and a, and a, with a with a soft spot in his heart. Blue eyes, yeah. Blue eyes, old blue eyes, and you know, Cool Hand Luke is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, it's uh, you know that is a favorite among a lot of people. It's a great one. Yeah, um, but you know, dang, uh, Paul, dude, you, you created this amazing company, and then you've got extra virgin olive oil salad dressing, and and there's almost none of it in there. It's basically it's corn soy. oil, soybean oil. Yeah you know, canola, safflower, whatever 
cheapest oil was available at the time of manufacture. Yeah, there was a little bit of extra virgin olive oil in there, but but not enough to, to make a difference. So while companies were sort of paying lip service to making a better for you sauce or condiment or uh, you know an organic version of this or that, no one was really checking off all the boxes. And for me, those boxes were it didn't it couldn't have any offensive ingredients. You know, so it couldn't have sugar, couldn't have artificial uh, flavorings, couldn't have artificial sweeteners, couldn't have you know uh, crappy dyes. Uh, couldn't have industrial seed oils again, corn oil, soybean oil, canola, um, and 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 it also had to have some functional ingredients. And we hit upon avocado oil as being one of the more functional, better for you, uh, healthy fats and oils. Um, and ultimately, it had to taste great. And I mean, that was the real clincher because there are a lot of companies that make products that have what we would call a clean label, mm-hmm. but they really don't taste that great. So there were some organic ketchups, for instance, that were unsweetened. They just tasted horrible. They're awful, yeah. Uh, yeah, there were some, you know, a, a couple of um, uh, entrees into the salad dressing category. But one of them, which wasn't that bad, but it only used extra virgin olive oil and you had to refrigerate it. Well, when you refrigerate extra virgin olive oil, it congeals, it hardens. So now you had to run it under the you either stick it in the microwave. The hot water. 15, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You either had to run under the hot water or stick it in the microwave for 15 seconds, which is sort of for some people antithetical to the whole concept. You know, so so I saw a niche here that I thought would be really fun and interesting to fulfill. And that would be to create, to take a look at all of the things that people want to eat but are afraid to eat. The mayonnaise, the ketchups, um, the salad dressings, uh, you know, the other condiments, the dips, the pasta sauces, things like that. Um, and make a version of each of those that not only tasted great, but was actually better for you. And that became the impetus for Primal Kitchen. And, and as I started that business in 2014, I sort of had to put some of the other things that I was doing on hold, like the publishing, like the podcasting. Um, and hence, you and, you and Brad took over the podcasting part of that. And, uh, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. You know, uh it's it's so funny because you know you have that book primal blueprint healthy sauces dressings and toppings right we're in there you it's my second about, book yeah you're making your own mayo and all of yeah. the things and then it's like and it's like at the end it's like uh f it let's just bottle this stuff up and get, like let's just well but I'll, I'll call you one better not only f it but that book did not sell any copies i mean it was ridiculous how and i thought when i made it i thought this is what people want you know this is the this is the <laughs> The Missing Link in Food, Healthy Sauces, Dressings, and Toppings. That was the name of the book. And I guess people wanted them, but they didn't want to make them themselves. And so it was it was the lesson learned, literally from that book and the failure of that book that prompted me to start making these ready-to-use sauces. Isn't that kind of... that's. It's it's sort of interesting again as we talk about one door closing another opening or or pivoting in life or you know mm-hmm. seeing the signs in the universe. That was one of them. Yeah, uh, and that's really interesting. I didn't know it was such a bomb, uh, but it's one of the things we know we give away as like free gifts at this point. It's like here, yeah, no, here's we've, the book because we've only given it away as free gifts. No, I printed. I was you know I was a publisher and I self published all my books up until very recently, up until the keto reset diet, and uh, and and that book I think we printed something like because I'd sold almost a half million copies of the Primal Blueprint, so we kept printing it and printing it and printing it. It was in its tenth and twelfth printing uh, by the time we were rolling out uh, healthy sauces, dressings, and toppings. 
And I think we printed something like 25,000 copies. And I bet that first year we didn't sell 5,000 copies. So I had 20,000 copies of this book in a warehouse. Um, And it's a great book. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, you have to sort of look at what the market is demanding. And and clearly the market was not demanding uh, a cookbook for sauces and dressings and toppings that people would make on their own. And then as, again, as history will, will determine, a lot of people were ready for a ready to make, a ready to eat, ready, you know, already made for you, um, you know, mayonnaise and ketchup and mustard and, and, and pasta sauces. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, convenience is just the thing. And that's where all those like food delivery companies come in or like, here, we'll give you all the ingredients and a, a recipe list. And then you put it together and throw it in the oven. I mean, people are just constantly looking for more <laughs> convenient ways to, to save time. And so that is now what Primal Kitchen Foods uh, definitely accomplishes. And um, exactly. the, first of all, amazing products. Like even just uh, recently, I tried the hollandaise sauce and I'm a hollandaise sauce fan. And I was like, nah, you know, okay, let's see. <laughs> and you know what? Wow. It did the trick and it was really amazing on eggs. And uh, oh, gosh, if you guys uh, check out primalkitchen.com for all of the amazing products and you guys keep coming out with more and more. And what I want to say here is I know there's probably people out there. Uh, they probably commented on your Twitter about it where it's like, oh, Kraft Heinz bought it. They'll screw it up. I mean, I would assume that you went into this where you're like, hey, you can never put so oil and any of this stuff. Can you tell us about that for the people that might be worried since Kraft took it over that all of a sudden it will not be clean? And Sure. Yeah. So I always had planned on selling the food company to uh, a large strategic, uh, a larger food company. Uh, that would that was my plan from day one. And it, it could have been Kraft. It could have been one of seven or eight other uh, large food companies, but in the case of Kraft, and I think in the case of a lot of these other companies these days, they they bought us because they realized we know what we're doing. They bought mm-hmm. us because so many of their brands have fallen out of favor. You know, Kraft is a great company. Um, they've been awesome for us. Uh, they've given us free reign to do whatever we want. They've given us resources, and they haven't interfered at all. Morgan and I were talking yesterday about the fact that. We are almost three years into this transition, and we have the same team that that uh, was there when they bought us. We've added people, of course, but we haven't. No one's been fired. No one's been let go. Maybe one or two people, you know, moved on to something else in their lives. But it's amazing how that team has stayed solid, and how the mission has stayed true, and how the ingredients. We're the ones, you know, we still use the same uh, co-packers and manufacturers. We we're the same company. We just happen to be owned uh, by Kraft Heinz. So uh, for people who, you know, have a concern that they'll, you know, screw it up, it's the opposite. They're learning from us. They're learning about how a brand has paid attention to the marketplace and understood what it is that consumers want and understood the direction of, of, of healthy eating. And, and it's the only way to go. I mean, there's no going back to the old days of, of crappy food. Unless, of course, you consider Beyond Meat and Impossible Burgers. But um, I digress. Um, By the way, one time I was in Malibu at a restaurant I know you like called Allo. And I was there with a friend. And this was before people really knew what the Impossible Burger was. And uh, she's reading the menu and she goes, oh, this looks good. The Impossible Burger. She's a meat eater, by the way. But the description of the the ingredients on the burger sounded great. And I looked at her and said, "Uh, do you realize what you'd be ordering is fake burger? That's not real. She's like, what? And it was a little bit trickery. I felt a little little tricked in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I guess where I'm going with that is that there are some some people who are sort of going in in this direction of of a more, quote, plant-based way Mm -hmm. of eating. Um, And I don't, you know, whatever's going to shake out from that. The intention is that everyone uh, 
eliminates the crappy stuff from their diet, right? And so the intention over time with almost all food manufacturers that you get rid of the offensive ingredients, certainly the artificial ingredients, certainly the artificial sweeteners and colors and preservatives and um, and then the industrial seed oils, which we know to be uh, offensive. And I think we're going to see a, a massive um, change, a, a switch away from these sorts of oils. Um, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, there are now many uh, competitors of Primal Kitchen in the marketplace yes. who, who are doing what we did and offering, you know, different flavors and different choices. And I think, look, my original mission wasn't to make a shitload of dollars. Okay, it was, but but it wasn't, <laughs> but it wasn't just that. It was to change the way the world eats. And Which you really if, have. I mean, you've you spawned an entire paleo industry, primal face, food industry. Right, yeah, absolutely. Industry, Your yeah. legacy is just yeah. legendary. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think in that regard, you know, my mission, however, my mission that changing the way the world eats is accomplished, even if I leverage it through my competition and say, look, you guys go ahead and you bring in new customers and you educate a whole new uh, group of, of consumers that I wasn't able to get to from my, my platforms. So, you know, it's, I think the entire food industry is headed down this path and Kraft Heinz, you know, in their wisdom has recognized that and basically said, wow, you guys just, you know what you're doing. We're going to basically give you the resources to keep doing what you want um, to the extent that you want, you know, advice or us to open more doors for you. We're happy to do that. But in the meantime, we're just going to stand back and watch you th uh, flourish and, and, and thrive. And that's what we've done. I love it. Um, before we get into, you know, I really want to talk about some of your entrepreneurial sort of failures over the years. You've talked about them in some of the posts because you've, uh, you weren't always maybe on the edge right, <laughs> of, yeah. of the marketplace. Like you were with some of the things and your, your stick-to-itiveness and your perseverance and never giving up is, is really astounding. But before we get into that, I just want to let the audience know, blog.primalblueprint.com. Those 500 plus episodes we've done over the years will always be there. And if you're new to this subject or you know anyone who really wants to learn about it, the first 10 or 15 episodes of the Primal Blueprint podcast are Brad Kearns and Mark Sisson talking about the Primal Blueprint laws, the introduction to this uh, this lifestyle. And also to your book, The Primal Blueprint is in its fourth edition. And that's a wonderful book as well. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But you you have, it, tell us a little bit about, so prior to starting your own supplement company, and then, you know, having it turn into the blog, and then onward from there, uh, you know, you, you like opened up a yogurt shop. Tell us about some of the early like business fails and things like that, because I feel <laughs> it's very inspiring for people yeah. to know that you didn't always succeed at everything, but you kept on going. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I was a, a painting contractor in college. I put myself through college doing that, painting houses. Uh, and it was lucrative enough that I decided to forego going to medical school, which had been my plan all along. Uh, for a couple of years, I put off going to medical school so that I could train for the Olympics because I was a, a, one of the better marathoners in the country. Uh, and I supported that habit, uh, being a painting contractor. I made a lot of money doing it. I was quite successful. Uh, and then I joined forces with a college classmate of mine, and we started a much larger painting company. Now we were going from a two and three man operation to a 12 and 15 man operation with several vans and, you know, having to make payroll every week and having to find jobs and, and having to underbid other competition. And all of a sudden I was making less money with a much larger company. Uh, that was one of the lessons I learned, but he and I decided we would get into the frozen yogurt business. So we started a frozen yogurt shop in Palo Alto in 1981 called wow. Cool Licks. What a great name. I love that name <laughs> these days. Cool Licks Soft Frozen Yogurt. Oh my God, um, 
And, uh, and it was quite successful. Uh, it was right off of University Avenue in Palo Alto and all of the Stanford students, particularly the Stanford girls would come and, and, and get a frozen yogurt every day. And this was in the early days before anyone really knew what frozen yogurt was going to become. Um, and I thought in those days it was health, healthy too, so it fit my paradigm. Uh, and we had, you know, we were, we, we were in the early days, we had a, uh, a big, a projection television above the counter and we played music videos. And this is just in the early days of like M- MTV. So we had um, bl- Blu-ray discs of, uh, of uh, Olivia Newton-John uh, let's get physical. And we, so it was a really avant-garde kind of place, really, really, really hip place. And we thought we would um, parlay that into something bigger. And so we, we, we uh, opened a restaurant uh, near uh, Apple computer on Saratoga Sunnyvale road in San Jose. And, um, unfortunately it was not that by then it was 1983 and we borrowed money at 17 and three quarters percent from the bank, Mm. uh, which was the going rate in those days. Uh, and for various reasons, the restaurant didn't make it. And so, um, that, that business, that partnership, uh, failed. I moved on. I, I actually, uh, left Northern California, went down to LA to become a sportscaster and actor for a couple of years uh, and what kind of, what kind of acting do you ever get any interesting well, roles or no, I got my, I got my, uh, card on, um, dynasty. Um, <gasps> so, <Seriously>? okay. <laughs> so episode. what was that episode? What was the role there? Uh, I was, a I literally was a, uh, a bellhop in a hotel. So it was, uh, you know, I had some lines. <laughs> that was it. It was, it was nothing big. I did a fair amount of commercials and a lot of foreign commercials, German and Japanese commercials, uh, largely because I, by then I, I, I was an ex triathlete. So I had sort of a athletic physique and, and any, any, uh, advertisement that was big on triathlon or running or cycling, um, I was up for, but you know, it wasn't what I went, I went there to be a sportscaster. I went, I went to LA to be me, not to be somebody else. Uh, what's your favorite my, sport? If you could choose the sportscasting job in another world or a parallel life, what sport oh, would that be? Oh, that's so funny. You asked that, you know, um, my favorite sport is ultimate Frisbee. And, no, I know and, that you love playing it, no, but I don't know. If there's much commentary. <laughs> no, but there will be because I think it's going to be a. I'm, you know, I'm in the fringe of creating. You know, helping to create a uh, some some uh, excitement around a league. Mm. Uh, you know, there is a professional uh, ultimate league right now. It's not doing very well, but um, I think it could with the right input. Um, but boy, are we digressing now? But anyway, that was so. Ultimate is my favorite sort of sport to call. Um, but you know, of the, of the real sports uh, track and field, I mean, you know, I, uh, every time, uh, there's been an Olympic games, I watch my friend Craig Massback who commentates or, you know, Dwight stones or any of those guys from the old days used to commentate like that was where that was my sweet spot. I did call a number of triathlons for ESPN in the early part of that uh, career, but I got kind of, I just decided that wasn't working for me and I needed to be an entrepreneur. So I, I left that and, um, I, you know, got married and started uh, working in the supplement business, uh, worked for another company for a couple of years, then started my own supplement company. Uh, and that's by 1996, I think I started uh, uh, Primal Nutrition. And I sold supplements. I did very well. Uh, it, was, it was a fairly successful business for a number of years. Uh, but then, uh, and it was based on um, what we call direct response. Today it's called uh, D to C but it was called direct response. So you would see me on TV and you would put, pick up a phone and call now and order and get, uh, you know, world's highest potency, full spectrum, multivitamin, multimineral antioxidant product or whatever it was I was, I was manufacturing. Um, but that model fell apart with the advent of the internet 
300 cable channels. So now infomercials were no longer interesting. Uh, and I spent 2005 uh, producing and starring in my own health show called Responsible Health. And I aired it on the Travel Channel. And so I, I paid for the production of the TV, of the shows. I shot 52 half-hour episodes. I had a guest. I built a set. You know, I had a guest uh, or two guests on every every episode. Um, and it was self-liquidating. I was my own sponsor. Uh, and um, yeah, so so I think I blew through a million and a half dollars doing that. Mm. Uh, and that was so that was a big bust. Uh, and then I started really worrying about like what, how was I going to feed my family because I was I had by then I had a wife and two you know two kids and um, and the business that I'd started with the supplement company had done reasonably well but it was but business was trailing off it was it was instead of growing every year it was dropping every year. So in 2006, uh, I decided to start March Daily Apple as an online platform uh, to espouse my views. So much as I uh, spent time and money and creativity doing this television show, Responsible Health, um, it was so expensive to produce and air. I thought, well, the internet is free. I can just put up a website. I'll have millions of viewers. It'll be awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it doesn't cost anything. And I'm great at creating content. So this will be wonderful. So I started March Daily Apple. Of course, you know, there were almost no viewers at first. And at the end of one year, I think I had a thousand views a day. Uh, and at the end of two years, it was maybe 2,500. And then at the end of three years, it was 10,000. So it, 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 it grew and eventually it became one of the, you know, the top uh, ancestral health website in the world. Um, yeah, with by, hundreds of thousands of subscribers now. Even, yeah, and, and it's dropped off precipitously since then because of Google's changing algorithms and all the other sure. stuff that's gone and on. And everyone has a blog now. Yeah. 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 But when it was just, um, you know, Rob Wolf and me and Michael <laughs> Eads and uh, Richard Nikolai and a few other, you know, Free the Animal, there were a few, there were a bunch of people, but it weren't many. And then I was sort of the one who um, rose to the top there. So I had a, a nice free run for about four years where there weren't many um, competing blogs or websites. And again, as I said, in the beginning of this show, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so I'm thrilled with the fact that paleo caught on so well that, that within a few years, there were thousands of blogs and some of them were very specific to very, um, uh, types of ideas, uh, whether it was, um, you know, sort of a FODMAP bent or an AIP bent or, a uh, you know, more of a, more of a science, um, delving into the scientific papers or whatever it was there, you had a lot of choices to go to if you wanted to read uh, about paleo and learn about paleo and primal and ancestral living. So over the years, um, as my readership grew, uh, my uh, supplement sales picked back up, but never really got to where I wanted them to be in terms of a business model for the platform that I had created. And again, meanwhile, I was publishing books. I was putting on PrimalCon, you know, three-day three day experiential events. I was doing seminars. Um, I was doing podcasts. There were a number of different um, uh, platforms that I was using to espouse these views I had on health. And uh, that's when I, again, I realized that at some point, in 2013, I think it was, I finally, it finally hit me that, wow, I'm, I'm writing about food all the time. And every, every Friday I'm creating a recipe or every Saturday I'm creating a recipe on how to make your own mayonnaise or how to make your own ketchup. And, um, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's a better way to do this. And that's, that's how that, um, you know, became 
Primal Kitchen. And then when I launched the products, when Mar- Morgan and I launched the products in February of 2018, it's not that, uh, excuse me, February of 2015, um, you know, we, we, by then we had hundreds of thousands of, of viewers and followers and readers who said, wow, this sounds like a great idea. I think I'll try it. So that idea uh, for Primal Kitchen, while it only began in 2015, it was based on 10 years of brand building prior to the launch. Yes. You know, uh, what? I'm not sure if you can tell us, maybe we'll keep it a secret here, but uh, what happens from here with you beyond the Primal Kitchen? Can you tell us about your, or do we just keep that secret and wait wait to hear? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so I'm still very much involved with Primal Kitchen. Um, I've got a, uh, you know, an ongoing um, agreement with them to be doing R&D and, and advising at every level. Um, I'm very happy with that and I'm happy to be working with my team. Um, I'm very much involved with Primal Health Coach Institute, which is uh, an online experience. Uh, we, you know, we coach people in how to do what I do and how to become knowledgeable about ways in which the body works and sort of the biochemistry and the behavioral uh, issues that people encounter when they're trying to achieve good health. And uh, so I've got a, a whole separate company that um, that trains coaches. Again, it's called the Primal Health Coach Institute. And I think we've put I think we put over 5,000 people through that program now. And it's a very, and, and, I, and I was program. the beta tester for it. You yeah. know, one of the first five, actually, I'm very yeah. proud to say that I was the fifth person, person certified in that. And um, yeah. it's an incredible program that has kept growing and has become really in depth and amazing. And I think uh, Brad Kearns is even working maybe on a fitness element there. So they're, they're just continuing. We're always to building. It. We're, we're all it's right now. It's like 180,000 words of text. It's, you know, wow. 80 hours of video. Uh, there's, 15 modules and you have to take an exam at the end of each module. I mean, it's a rigorous course. It's not like, okay, I'm going to you yeah. know, do this weekend seminar and get my level one certificate. No, this is right now the average, I think it takes, you can plan on taking six months, three to six months. Three is probably the minimum time now in six months. Is probably average. And to it's get really interesting. You know, it's just interesting. It's fascinating. The content in there. Yeah. And as I said, I mean, I, and I don't want to make light of this. I want people to know what I know. You know, I, it's like yeah. my intention was to, was to, because I couldn't coach individually people for the, you know, around the world for the rest of my life. There's just only one of me. One of the ways to leverage that was to download my brain into this program and say, okay, I want you to know what I know. And then I want you to use your own particular skills and your own particular um, avenues of interest to go out into the world and either coach one-on-one or do group training or work in a corporate setting or work at a, um, at a school, I mean, there's the the number of opportunities here in this health coaching field uh, is becoming exponential, and it's it's really obvious after the last year and a half that we've had with COVID. Yes, and it's changed so many people's lives around me. My brother, yes. my friends who have gone primal, who learned things they didn't once know, and you know, of course, I've learned everything I know about primal health from you and the primal health coach program. What I've always loved about your approach, and this goes back to the primal blueprint, when you were always like, "Hey, look, everybody." If 80-20 is the best you can do, it's better than probably what you're doing. But you've always been really more open. You know, I find that over the years, there's been a lot of like hardline approach, like the, you know, you're in some keto group and then you mentioned, you know, you're eating an apple in your band and, you know, it's this kind of thing where you've been very 
flexible on the metabolic flexibility and keto and, and being like, Hey, this might not be for everyone nonstop 24 seven and to switch it up. Can you just touch a little bit about that? Because I think you're the most open person about that. And that is why I think so many people love you, um, for that approach versus this hard line. And some of these people have come out and it's just been, yeah, it's a little bit too, you know what I mean? It's a little bit too strange. No, of course. I mean, at the end of the day- And it goes against the whole intuitive eating, right? Because like, for example, I'm a person that intermittent fast naturally. I don't like breakfast. It's not my thing. But you know what? Let's say, you know, I got a peacock out my window honking at 4 a.m. I'm up or something happens. And let's say I'm hungry for, you know, meat or something at 10 a.m. Now, it kind of takes me off a little bit in that moment because I don't really like eating at that time of day. But I go with what you've always said, which is, hey, my body's craving it. Eat it you know, be intuitive about it right now. My body's saying it's not the time of day I would prefer. I don't like that. It's it's happening, but it's happening. I'm not going to be, well, I'm a person that intermittent fast and I'm not going to eat this now, even though I, my body's telling me to. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is how you feel. The only thing that matters in life is how you feel. Do you feel happy? Do you feel content? Sure. Do you feel satisfied or are you angry, depressed, uh, you know, are you, are you, do you have pain when you, so the, all that matters is how you feel. And, and if feeling good includes enjoying great tasting foods that you maybe shouldn't have, you know, a lot of, but have them once in a while, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's really about living your life to the fullest extent. You know, the, 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 um, the motto for primal kitchen is live awesome. And, Live awesome means it includes making every bite of food you ever put in your mouth taste great. Like don't ever choke down something somebody told you it's good for you. You should eat this if you if you don't want to eat it and if it tastes like crap. Um, so with with regard to uh, metabolic flexibility, the you know keto isn't for me a lifestyle. Keto is a tool, a strategy that I use on occasion to achieve greater metabolic flexibility, just like uh, a set of free weights is a tool I use to, to achieve strength. I don't use the free weights all the time because um, I, sometimes I want to go out and play. Sometimes I want to take the, the advantage of having worked out with free weights in the gym and go out and paddle for an hour and see dolphins or a manta, uh, as I saw mm-hmm. yesterday. Oh, um, love that. Uh, uh, sometimes I want to, you know, be able to run like I did on Sunday. I, I played one of my better games of ultimate frisbee in the last few years. I was moving well. I I caught a couple of touchdown passes. I threw a couple. I had a great game. All of that. That's that's me enjoying life. And I use free weights as a tool. So when people say, "Well, you know, how you eat is how you live," and your choices on food, you know, are sort of indicative and metaphor for the rest of your life, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe not, but. But don't get so caught up in the dogma that you lose sight of how you feel. You lose sight of enjoyment. Um, you know, and some people, I guess, get enjoyment from from the stoicism, from the mm. from from you know, like an anorexic gets some amount of pleasure from denying food. Well, you got to watch out for that too, right? So, um, the whole point behind the Primal Blueprint is to give yourself some guardrails and strive for a hundred percent to stay within the guardrails. But if at the end of the day, you wind up 80, 20, you are better off than 95% of all the people around you. And if at the end of the day, you feel better, you look better, you perform better. um, I don't care what you ate. (laughs) You know, if, if at the end of the day, you say, Mark, I feel awesome. 
Uh, I played well. I'm happy. I was productive today. I slept well. Um, then if you say, oh, and by the way, um, you know, I had a, a couple of bites of a Cinnabon. Um, so I feel pretty guilty about that shit. I'm like, whoa, you're missing the point, right? Right. The Enjoy point that. Is to, the point is to be so <laughs> metabolically flexible from having done the work that when you do have the Cinnabon, A, you burn it off like it didn't even exist. And B, you don't beat yourself up because you broke dogma. Um, you know, you mentioned the people who get, you know, um, railed on, they get kicked out of keto because they ate, you know, they had 82 grams of carbs yesterday or whatever. Well, first of all, if you got, if you're out of keto uh, and you feel like crap because you did that, you're not metabolically flexible. If you had, if you had 150 grams of carbs, but you were keto ish and you felt great, Hey, you win because that's what we're talking about. That's metabolic flexibility. Again, it doesn't, I don't care what you ate as long as you, on a day that you thought you were going to be keto and you had 150 or 200 grams of carbs and you still felt great. Like who's looking, who's, 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 who cares? Who's keeping tabs on that except you. Right. Yeah. And you know, uh, back to the play thing. So, you know, I've heard you, uh, speak on interviews before, maybe even told me this, but I've heard you say, you know, like after all the 200, 250 endurance competitions you did, uh, you were like, you know, I never really had fun in any of them. And so I'm not doing anything anymore that's not fun. And I want to just point out one of our, uh, repeat offenders on the podcast is Daryl Edwards with primal play. You know, that's his thing. And, uh, he's been at many primal cons in the past and one of the other sort of like peripheral things about this movement you really started was, was this attention to looking at our movement, right? The different ways. I mean, you know, how that has expanded over the past 10 years has been really interesting. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Daryl as well, because he's, you know, he was really a pioneer in this idea that, that structured workouts are for the birds and, and that play is really all that matters. And again, how do you feel when you're playing? Well, typically, if, if you even use the term play, you're joyous. Uh, when I was an endurance athlete, again, the veteran of over 200 endurance contests, um, I realized very late in the game that what I was doing was not fun. I was managing discomfort from the time the gun went off to the time the finish line. Uh, yeah. And by the way, most of the time during my, my workouts or during my training, I wasn't having fun you know, I was in the zone. I was in a Zen-like state. I was in a flow state, but I was still managing discomfort because typically it was about, you know, what's the what's the fastest I can run and not fall apart and not have, um, you know, uh, knee pains, gastrointestinal problems, uh, you know, wooziness from lack of blood sugar, whatever it was. It was it was literally it is just a a manifestation of a, of a lifestyle that is only about managing discomfort. In fact, when you get when you look at the at the elite um, starters at any endurance contest, whether it's a marathon, a triathlon, whatever, you will have twenty people there in in a lot of races. Twenty people are equally as talented, probably equally as genetically gifted, probably trained equally as hard, probably want it or say they want it equally as much that day just before the gun goes off, and the race goes to one person, and that is the person who on that day said. I am willing to manage my discomfort so deeply that I'm going to drag you motherfuckers down with me mm -hmm. and you're all going to fall by the wayside and I'm going to emerge victorious. Now, you know, meanwhile, you look at, <laughs> at a basketball game and the, and the pros, when they're out there duking it out, LeBron is still having fun at every game, Yep. you know, and on, on the football field, you know, they're hitting each other, and but they're still having fun. I, I, it's still a game for them. 
Um, okay, they're managing a little bit of discomfort when they get hit, but but you know what I'm saying? Hockey players, I mean, yep. name the name the sport, soccer. They're all having fun at the highest level when they're when they're doing this. And there are there are moments when they're running like crazy and 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 sprinting and. You know they're in the flow state in the zone, but for the most part they're having fun. But it really it's 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 rare that anyone would ever in a marathon or a 10k say, "Oh wow, this is fun," you know, and look over at his yeah. at his buddies and go, "Hey, this isn't this great?" <laughs> they, that, that wouldn't happen. You know, over the years, uh, wow, I have learned so many things from you, so many hacks, so many things that come up. I know you you have too. There's one thing that I kind of used to look sideways at, and, and this is not meant to be an advertisement for them, but I know you love them, and it actually has changed my life. I'm new to it. It's been about a year, which is the Chili Pad Lure Mattress Pad. It's a life changer to me. Tara Youngblood has been on the podcast, and I think it's one of the most genius inventions ever. Um, you've been using it for like a long time, right? A long time. Yeah, I've um, I mean, I have, you know, one at my house in, in Miami, which is, <laughs> I absolutely need in Miami and one at, uh, the house that we rent in the Palisades, but, um, no, I, I think it's been, uh, 2013 or 14 that I first started. I mean, really when they, when they first came out with it, um, and it's everybody I I've put onto it, it's a, it's a godsend. And here's the concept. Yep. The concept is, you know, it's this pad through which microtubules, of water circulate and the water is cooled by a chiller that, that sits underneath your bed and a hose that's connected to the end of the end of the pad. So you, you put the pad on top of your mattress. You don't even know it's there because you put a sheet on, on over that. You don't even know, you don't feel this, this pad that has the microtubules, but it is cooling the surface. And I usually sleep around 65 degrees. Well, it sort of emulates um, what our ancestors did, which was to, which was to sleep on a cold ground, on a cold surface, the ground, with maybe a fur over you. So I have a duvet, you know, and and, and a lot of people have a you know a comforter or a duvet or whatever you want to call it, a large blanket. And so you've got the warmth from in, coming from the top down and the cool coming from the bottom up. And I, I dream. Of, I like. I get so excited every night to get into bed and be like, "Oh!" And everywhere you turn your foot, uh, cold. You turn over. Hello. Yeah. It's like been such a lifesaver, and I've turned other people onto it too. And I, it honestly, if you're out there, it's one of the best devices, hacks, and sort of ancestral hacks here that have I've seen over all these years. I've never heard the term "game changer" used uh, by so many people for one product, and that, but, that's <laughs> yeah. what but that's what they've said to me. Yeah. Game so changer. other. Other than other than that, um, there's other things you noticed uh, over the years. You've talked about like how you're a fan of wine, and then you know, uh, Dry Farms wines came out, which is a very clean version of that, and and you felt a difference in that. Can you can you talk about that sort of switch in your life too, and how how alcohol has played uh, in terms of wine and your health and how you feel? Sure, I've been back and forth uh, over the years with my relationship with alcohol. Uh, you know, never abusive, but I mean, I drank a lot of beer as a runner. That was what you did. Um, I love wine. Um, I love wine with dinner. In fact, it, to me, it's not it's not that uh, most enjoyable, pleasurable dinner possible unless there's a glass of wine with it. So uh, that's become part of my ritual, my evening ritual. Uh, over the years, I realized that I was my taste for wine was trending toward the sort of deep, rich, red, thick, chocolatey, leathery, uh, heavy California cabs, and I didn't like the way I was feeling when I woke up the next morning. And I met. I met this guy Todd White at a at a trade show, and he had he had just launched this company called Dry Farm Wines. And what they do is they they go around the world and they find um, wines that are 
low in, have no sugar, lower in alcohol, have none of the additives that are allowed in the U.S. And there are 76 approved additives that winemakers could put into the wine and not have to disclose it on the label. Um, and, uh, you know, lower in tannins. So he, he finds these wines and then his company, they test them for sugar content, for alcohol, for all these other things. And when they pass muster, um, they package them and they curate them and you can join the, it's, it's like a sort of a wine of the month club. Um, and you get, you know, they send you a case, half a case, two cases, whatever you want every month. And usually it's your, you know, they choose, if you say you want red, they, they'll give you a selection of reds or rosés or, or whites. Um, and I've put, again, I put hundreds, if not thousands of people onto this. And again, I get the, I get the comment that I can finally, you know, drink wine again and not feel like crap the next morning. And so yeah, it's a, I another, that too. another game changer, another sort of life changer. And, you know, I, um, every once in a while, uh, when I travel, especially when I travel in the U.S., um, I'm, you know, I go out to dinner a lot with friends and invariably somebody will order a really expensive bottle of a California cab or a, you know, a Pinot or a Merlot or whatever. And I literally don't feel well after drinking it because I'm so used to the, the purity, the clarity and the taste. I mean, the, 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 the ultimate irony of the dry farm wines product is that it's inexpensive and I prefer the taste. Mm-hmm. So given, you know, it's like, I'll be, I'll be at a friend's house and uh, I'll be invited over. Right. And, and I'll, I'll bring my own dry farm wines. No one will drink it because it's, it's an unknown thing. And so while they're opening up their Camus or their Opus or their Schaefer or whatever, I'm drinking my dry farm wines and, you know, preferring it over the others. You, uh, so it's, you also lug along a jar of mayo with you to these parties? No, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't do that. Um, I have, by the way, uh, yeah. drug a half, uh, well, I brought uh, the ketchup. I shouldn't. I shouldn't uh, laugh. I have brought the ketchup to barbecue. <laughs> yeah. I once went to a fish restaurant, and I love tartar sauce. But I made my own with the Primal Kitchen mayo, and it was like maybe you know a quarter of the jar was left, and then so I mixed it up, and I I I didn't care. I had no shame about it. I put it right in my purse. I'm like, I'm not eating their tartar sauce. <laughs> um, yeah, don't don't. God, I wish you know. I don't know if you guys are ever going to do this, but it'd be so great to have packets of these things. Is that maybe in the future? Um, it's a difficult, uh, just uh, very difficult from a manufacturing perspective because of the ah. way we make the ketchup. We are able to make it unsweetened and organic and taste great because of a manufacturing process that involves a certain amount of cooking that would not otherwise be necessary. And it's the cooking, the heating of it, that then makes it difficult to put into small. You can put it in a glass, but you can't put it into uh, pouches that need to be that need to be sealed. Yeah, got it. Um, Yet we're we're working on. It. One of the things we've talked about a lot on all of these shows is sleep. And I remember you, uh, one of the guests, Laird Hamilton was on, and I remember he said something that just really rang true for me. He was like, don't even talk to me if I get less than eight hours of sleep. <laughs> I thought, you know, that's kind of how I feel. One of the things over the years, you know, you're type A, I'm type A in a lot of ways, but there's this societal thing about like these people that brag about like, I only need five hours. And I'm like, yeah, but how's that working out for you? You know what I'm saying? What, what's been your trajectory over the years? I'm assuming that since you were an athlete, you knew the importance of rest then. Do you get more sleep now? Um, have you really sort of, uh, you know, bargained for that in your schedule? How do you, how are you with sleep? Well, um, yeah. Interesting. I've always bargained for sleep in my schedule. So when I was in college, um, I, went to bed at 11 o'clock at night, regardless of what parties were going on in the dorm 
regardless of how much work I had to do, because I knew I had to get up at seven um, and either go for a run because I was on the cross country team uh, or go to class at eight o'clock. And in those days I didn't skip breakfast. So, you know, I would get up. So my, my schedule was set from pretty much 11 to eight, 11, 11 to seven. So I got eight hours in college and uh, that's when I started um, incorporating white noise. So I had this giant window fan uh, that, that, that word W H I R R E D word pretty loudly throughout the night. And it would drown out all of the revelry from the beer keg parties going on across the quad or whatever. Um, and I got, I actually got so uh, used to acclimated to that. I had to start, I had to bring it with me when I would travel on trips too. But, uh, um, and I, this was in new England in, in the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts. So even in the, in the, in the middle of winter, it'd be you know, five degrees out or five below at night. And I'd have my window open with a fan, you know, going just to keep the white noise going because I, I so valued my sleep. Um, my daughter, uh, Devin, uh, was an art student, uh, at various schools over the years. And one of the, one of her years, she was at, uh, uh, the design center out in Pasadena and they had to work on these projects, some of which would require multiple all night, uh, you know, uh, efforts. Um, and she, so I think in her, one of her years, she pulled like 20 all nighters. Mm. I've never pulled an all nighter in my life. Really? The close, really. The closest I've ever come was I was on a, uh, world record setting 24 hour relay team. So we had a team that, uh, we, there were 10 of us on a team and each, each one would run a mile and hand off. So one teammate, number one would run a mile, hand off to two, run a mile, hand off to three. And by the time it got to teammate 10, it would be hand off back to number one again. And you do this for 24 hours. And we set a, we set a world indoor record. Uh, and so that went for 24 hours and went through the night. So I couldn't really, you know, I could take a nap, but because you only had 45, you, each of us is running five minute miles. So you only had um, 45 minutes between, between your, your legs, right? Uh, you'd run a mile and then 45 minutes later, you'd have to run another mile. And 45 minutes later, you have to run another mile. And of course, after you've run a five minute mile, you can't just go right to sleep and take a nap because you're all jacked up from having run a five minute mile. And then maybe you take a little bit of a rest, but then you have to get up and warm up again for 10 minutes before the next five minute effort. So that's the closest I ever came to pulling an all nighter, but I, I did take some cat naps during that. No, I'm, I have never made any apologies for getting at least eight hours of sleep a night. And sometimes I get nine and sometimes I get 10 and very happy yeah. about that. I love that. That's, that's my jam too. You know, uh, Speaking of Laird, we also interviewed Gabrielle Reese on the show. And I think it was like kind of a revelation for the audience to hear that, you know, she said, I even struggle with the commitment to exercise. You know, there's days where I have to force it. And I don't think she meant because she was exhausted and was trying to push through, even though her adrenals were exhausted, just the mental laziness. Have you ever had that? Do you have that too? I mean, I know you end up doing it anyway, and I do too. There's been moments where I have a schedule to go swim and I'm, I'm like arguing all the way there. I'm in the car, even get there. I'm in the suit and I still question whether I should leave. <laughs> and then, and then I, I make it to the edge. I, I always end up doing it and it's always rewarding. I'm so glad I always did it. But I think sometimes for regular exercisers out there, they feel like, you know, we wake up every day and we're like, we're ready, you know? So are you like that every day or do you also have some struggles, but you end up making the commitment regardless? No, no, no. Again, this is, it's it, when I say, all that matters is how you feel. I'm serious. So uh, I'm, I'm long past the guilt 
stage where I was supposed to do a workout today and I and I and I backed down and didn't do it. If if I choose not to do a workout, I don't beat myself up over that at all. Mm-hmm. I just consider it a rest day. I, I you know I I'm able to reframe that whole thing as well. I needed the rest. Uh, I, I'm able to reframe it as I probably work out too much as it is, and so any day I take off is probably a good thing. Uh, when I travel, I don't feel that compelled anymore to find a gym and go get my workout in. Um, I just, um, I'll, sometimes I'll walk a little bit more, you know, I was in France for a month this summer and, uh, I went to the gym five times in the month. That was about it, but I paddled, I walked seven, eight miles every day. And I immediately looked at walking as my, as my, as my workout, as my exercise. And it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to go intentionally walk seven miles. It's like, okay, we live here. We don't have a car on purpose. We're going to walk to lunch, walk home. We're going to walk to dinner, walk back. We're going to walk to do some shopping in town. And, and it became, uh, you know, a, um, a matter of not even thinking about it. And at the end of the month, I'm like, Jesus, I got 210 miles of walking in this month. That was more walking than I've done probably my entire life. Because, you know, most of what I did in the early days was running. I didn't, I never, walking was like a waste of time when I was a runner. Right. Um, and, uh, so, and then there are days when I go to the gym and I, the gym is right in my building and, uh, I'll walk down there and I'll walk in and I'll go, nope, not feeling it and turn around and go back. And so again, I have no problem with that. I mean, it's because when I say it's how you feel, if I'm not stoked for a workout once in a while, I'll grind it out and I'll maybe find the mojo halfway through the workout. But other times I'm like, no, this just, this isn't doing it for me. And, and I don't, there's no, I'm 68 years old. I've been doing this shit since I was 12. There's no uh, downside to taking a day off. Yeah. Right. I'm going to look, I'm going to look the same as I looked yesterday. I'm going to perform probably as well. I'm going to recover a little bit better because I didn't beat myself up on a workout. Um, And maybe I'll get some stuff done uh, at, at the office that I would not have found time to do. So when I, when I say it's about how you feel, it's about how you feel when you're eating, you know, do you, do you, are you enjoying your food? Are you feeling good about the choices you make? Um, are you feeling good in your workouts? Like, are you, are you doing them and then feeling at the end of a workout? Like that was great. I'm glad I did that. Um, you know, are you okay taking days off? Like, okay. Um, uh, you know, I, I used to feel guilty, uh, any day I took off when I was, a a competitive athlete. And I was pretty much for 30 years, a competitive athlete. So even when, when I wasn't like a pro, I was still competing on an, on an age group level. And I remember thinking that the day wasn't even worth living if I didn't get a workout in. Right. And, and conversely, if I did get the workout in, then anything I did or nothing I did for the rest of the day, that was fine. Um, So I've shifted that around and, and haven't assigned so much value to it. Um, what I do assign value to is movement. So today, great example today, I was going to go for a bike ride on a fat bike on the beach and I got caught up. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm in Miami and Carrie's back in California. So we spoke when she woke up this morning. And then by the time I got my day going, it was 11 o'clock. Well, it was, you know, 91 degrees at 11 o'clock and, um, it was going to be a hot day on the, on the bike and I wasn't feeling it. So I just went and I did an hour and 10 minute walk on the beach. Now that doesn't suck, El. Yeah, uh, you no, know, it and it, and people would say, "Well, that's a walk, Mark. You didn't run. You didn't. You didn't do intervals. You didn't lift weights. You walked. What the hell?" 
Well, walking is very valuable. Walking is movement. And as I was walking, I could feel the small muscles of my feet um, doing stuff in the sand that they wouldn't have done if I'd been walking on the pavement. I mean, I made it, I made it a valuable session of movement. I didn't pay attention to how many steps I took or how many calories I burned. I don't measure that shit. I just, you know, for me, it's about movement. It's not about calories burned. It's not about personal records anymore. It's just about moving the body in different ranges, ranges of motion, planes of action. Yeah. Speaking of Carrie, I love your wife, as you know, she's incredible. And uh, she does have her master's in spiritual psychology from USM. And I want to talk a little bit about mindset for a second. One of my favorite books is Primal Connection. I hope everybody reads this book. This that, And I unexpectedly so, I think, and I keep, <laughs> keep referring back to it. And one of the sections in there that I love is talking about sort of this victim mindset and relating it to ancestral uh, living where, you know, you say like nowadays we've got the luxury of wallowing in despair, you know, self-pity, self-judgment, but that was not the case then. Like life was harsh. It was unrelenting. There were lots of challengers and, and you, you know, you, you bring up this idea of like, can you imagine them moping around, right? <laughs> Judging themselves if they didn't catch the beast or like the watering holes tainted. I mean, at that point, you're like, sorry. Like if Joe was crying at the water, you'd be like, dude, we're moving on. Like, get yeah. up, let's go, right? So talk a little bit about mindset and how may, maybe yours has changed over the years and just a bit about Primal Connection, really a, just an incredible book. Well, thank you. And it is my favorite of all the books I've written as well. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. So um, I think it's a real because that really gets to the essence of, of who we are and who we could be. Um, you know, uh, Art Devaney, who is my mentor, um, once famously said within this, within this context, um, for humans and for ancestral humans, there is no failure. There's only feedback. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you can't even ascribe a value judgment of something that happened to you as a failure if you just look at it as feedback. Okay, how do I... You know, what do I, what do I do from here? What's my next move? Not, oh, geez, I'm going to stop and beat myself up for the next hour and a half over what I just did or what I didn't do or how I failed. Uh, and I, I think from an, again, from a purely visceral simian ancestral point of view, um, you know, animals don't feel sorry for themselves. Uh, did you ever watch the movie GI Jane? Oh, you know what? I hate to say this, but it's actually kind of one of my favorite movies. Okay. <laughs> I love so, watching that so movie. So you know when when the master sergeant talks about the 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 bird freezing in the tree, not feeling sorry for itself? Oh, right. Right? That and and uh it was like the opening opening scene in the movie. And it's true, a bird freezing his ass off on a tree and falling dead on the ground doesn't feel sorry for itself. It doesn't doesn't have the luxury of doing that. So that is a luxury that humans have partly because of um the you know, the comforts that we've surrounded ourselves with, and partly because of the the language that we've created that has allowed us to, to couch uh, any event with a narrative that, that makes us feel better or worse. Um, so in fact, um, I'm thinking about writing my next book on something like that. It's, it's, it's that, it's that. That was going to be my next question. What more, we're going to do more books in the future. I hope we're going to see some books come on in. Yeah. 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 Always, always got a book in the back of my head. Um, sometimes what I want to write is not what my publishers will allow me to write, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, like a whole book know. of rants would be interesting from you. Well, but I mean, and and you know, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I'm I'm I was the- theoretically going to title my next book 
um, you know, uh, calm the fuck down, uh, thoughts, <laughs> thoughts from a crotchety old man, you know, uh, you, you kids, get off, you kids get <laughs> off my lawn. Right. So, uh, um, but I don't think my publisher will, will allow that quite yet. So we'll see. Uh, but I'm, I'm just a, a, such a, um, a student of human nature and I've watched the world unravel during this COVID experience. And it's, it's really, uh, I think concerning, to me about where society is headed if we don't start to take responsibility for ourselves and start, you know, uh, doing things that, that are to the benefit of our immune system and our health and, and not, you know, kowtow to other stuff. I won't, I won't go any deeper into that right now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, you know, on, on like the sort of mindset primal connection chip, I mean, that's one way where I think we do need to get way back to ancestral stuff. And then, of course, with the other things we have to adapt to the modern world, just want to throw out to the audience a couple of really amazing, like high download uh, guests that we've had on the podcast who were sort of mindset people. Uh, one was thick Scottish accent and author of Unfuck Yourself, Gary John Bishop. He was really fun. We've also had motivational speaker, Lisa Nichols, who is from the original movie, The Secret. And she actually revealed something on her show she never had before, talking about at the height of her fame, uh, being a speaker in that movie. And she was also struggling with hypothyroidism. And um, and then we've had a couple other, like most downloads would be like the episodes we've done with Dr. Forsman, who's on my book, Paleothyroid Solution. Dr. Ken Berry really uh, blew up during our time uh, in the past 10 years. He has been on a mission to fix type two diabetes and he has just had a lot of success and keeps putting out a lot of great content. He's uh, one of our most download episodes as well. Um, and then Man, just so, so many great episodes. I've learned so much. Is there anything you can recall from people you've interviewed or, again, just people you've read in this field over the years that stand out to you as something that you've adopted as a hack other than what we've talked about or that made you look at something in a different way, even though you know you were studying and writing about this stuff yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I learned something, um, even if it's a slight adjustment in my point of view from just about everybody that that I that I talk with who represents in this space uh, – you know, a unique perspective. Um, and, you know, you talk about Ken Berry. I mean, I, I think um, I said years ago, I think uh, type two diabetes is a stupid disease and I got yep. a lot of flack for that, but nobody, nobody should get it. It's the, it's 100% preventable and uh, you know, and it's, and it's mostly curable if, if it's not too late. And I think, you know, the world is starting to see that. So I, I, um, I, I get, um, you know, further, uh, along in my, in my desire to see the 35 million current Americans who have type two diabetes, I'm I'm more encouraged by, uh, some of the guests that come on the show and, and, you know, are, are doing their best to educate and, and show that this is, uh, that we can, that we can affect this. Um, you know, whether it's movement, uh, you know, Kelly Starrett, I learned a lot from Kelly Starrett about movement, uh, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even, you know, early days, Ron Rosedale, again, one of my mm. mentors and he, Ron caught a lot of flack from people because, because of his, uh, position on, uh, protein, you know, and he's, he was saying, well, you shouldn't eat that much protein and 40, 40 grams a day is probably enough. And any more than that, you, and you activate mTOR. Well, I started thinking about mTOR and, and in a, in a good way, not a bad way. And, and so I learned from, and, and by the way, Ron was one of the early guys who said, look, we got to watch, um, you know, leptin, we got to watch insulin. We got to watch, you know, all of these other, um, hormones that are involved in the metabolism of glucose. And, uh, 
he was one of the guys who said, look, the less glucose you, you consume in a lifetime, probably the longer you'll live. Um, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from, uh, well, I mean, it just, it goes on and on. Um, you sure. know, Michael, Michael and Mary Dan Eads, uh, great yes, friends. Yes, they are superstars in this whole thing. Yeah. And, and they're very low key and they just, you know, Michael says, by the way, um, anybody who wants to subscribe to an amazing newsletter comes out once a week, every Thursday, it's called the arrow and it's Michael Eads, E-A-D-E-S, Dr. Michael Eads. And again, he's one of my mentors. Uh, and he, he just very philosophical. I don't know how he finds the time to, to write these eight to 10,000 word newsletters every week, but he does. Um, so I, I highly recommend that. Um, yeah. What else? No, I just, I, I, I want to learn from everybody and I want to incorporate sort of the, the best nuggets of what people have to say. Um, and look, this is what I've done my whole life is just sort of observe what's going on in the world of science and, and take kind of the greatest hits and then package it in a way that I think people will understand uh, best. Yeah, so that's it's, that's kind of been my mission is to take complex science topics and distill them down to digestible pieces of information. Yeah, it's 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 kind of funny to hear you talk about your mentors when I am speaking right now to my <laughs> my mentor. You've been an incredible mentor all these years. And, you know, Brad and I have had so much fun once you got busy doing all of these interviews. Again, these 500 episodes will be up forever on blog.primalblueprint.com. And, you know, please everyone go check out the Primal Kitchen podcast. Uh, last question on just sort of like Primal Kitchen. You guys are coming out with new products all the time. I see there's a jalapeno buffalo sauce, which is just like, that's, that's, that was a must. Um, anything you can share with us about maybe some new products that are sort of planned down the road or is that super secret? Um, no, we just, we have a, a Again, we have a, uh, a press release today or tomorrow about some, well, I don't know when the episode's going to air, but it will have come out about dips, yeah, we'll come out. you know, a whole line of dips. Uh, so that's the oh, latest, excellent. but we are always, um, you know, envisioning two or three down years down the road. And um, it's almost a question of like, you know, what shouldn't we do? Because we feel like we should do everything, but probably there are some, some areas that we probably, you know, won't get involved in. Um, but for the most part, you know, as I said, we look for areas of opportunity and those opportunities are foods that people have, have wanted to eat for the longest time, but have recognized that they're probably not good for them in the current iterations. And so, so our question is, can we make a version of that, that they will not only feel good about eating, but they'll, but they'll want to eat as much as they'll, they'll want to use with, with reckless abandon, as we say. Yeah. And if you haven't already, please, everyone subscribe to Mark's Daily Apple dot com there is one of the things i love about you in businesses you know you give away a lot of free stuff a lot of free information there is no shortage of primal recipes you know weekly meal plans uh books on sun and vitamin d and things that you offer through mark's daily apple lots of great links and even just something like you're like how do i evaluate a lipid panel just type it in there's going to be a bunch of articles right. on it right. so that stuff is still going and, and I'm sure you'll, you'll never stop with that blog, but it, for everyone out there, subscribe to Mark's daily apple. Cause it is just, man, I don't know. I mean, how many articles you have at this point. It's been every day for all these years. So it's got to be like, <laughs> yeah, we, every it's Mark's daily apple every day since two, since September of 2006. So we are literally 15 years into this. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Mark, everyone I know listening to this, uh, every Primal Health coach, everyone who's been touched by this, all of the Friday success stories on Mark's Daily Apple, you know, the thoroughfare, and I talk about this when I'm interviewed about your blog, is that every success story, while one may one may be, hey, I lost 100 pounds or I secured my, you know, I cured my skin disease or whatever it is, the thoroughfare through all of them is. I'm no longer obsessed with food, the freedom. And so I implore everyone out there to spread the word. And if you're not there yourself, uh, think about getting off the sugar burning train and becoming a fat burner and getting into the primal lifestyle. Um, you know, just, just wonderful success stories all of these years. And I know a lot of them are incorporated in your fourth edition of Primal Blueprint. So, well, we're going to be, we're going to be watching and waiting. Mm. I also recommend your two interviews on Joe Rogan. Those are two of my favorite interviews of you really in-depth conversations. Uh, that's also a good place to start for people that want to know about you and your work. If you're out there listening and you want to kind of share, uh, Mark Sisson with someone, those are, that's a good place to start too. Anything you'd like to leave with us, uh, moving forward here? No, I, I thank you again for, uh, you know, your, uh, loyalty and 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 great efforts in the podcast and everything you else else you've done working with me and for me over the years, um, and I'm I'm very excited about what your journey holds for you. Um, you know, I think you've built an amazing personal brand thus far, and I think the sky's the limit. So, um, you know, I'm your biggest supporter in that. You know that, um, and um, you know, uh, for the rest of uh, the listeners, uh, you know, there's more great stuff coming. I'm going to be Yep. Uh, co-hosting some of the episodes with Morgan as we uh, transition over to Primal Kitchen instead of Primal Blueprint Podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Love it. Thanks so much. And everyone, I won't see you next week, but tune into the Primal Kitchen Podcast. And for everyone else, thank you so much. You did not, your uh, loyalty, your listenership did not, I mean, really, you are the reason we were successful and have gotten so much great information out there to the world. I wish I had podcasts back, you know, when I was suffering with hypothyroidism, but there were none. And, you know, now there's a million, right? You can go listen to me talk on 100 interviews about thyroid and get some really good information or hear Mark and learn about paleo primal living and all for free. So I love that we're in the world of technology where this information has spread to that point. And thank you for creating this and fostering that because we've had just some, I've learned so much and it's been so much fun. So everyone, thank you so much. And I'll see you soon, Mark. For sure. Thanks, Al. Primal Blueprint listeners don't compromise on pantry classics. Whether you're going keto, paleo, in the middle of a whole 30 month, or adding to your Primal approved arsenal, Primal Kitchen has a full range of mayo, ketchup, dressings, and oils that add flavor and variety to any meal without ever compromising on ingredient quality. From avocado oil-based mayos bursting with flavors like Kiki Chipotle Lime, Creamy Classic, Zesty Garlic Aioli, or Savory Pesto, to unsweetened ketchups and organic mustards, there's a condiment to complement every taste bud. Be sure to stock up on Primal Kitchen Avocado Oil, Extra Virgin Olive Oil, and new balsamic vinegar of Modena to add ease and great flavor to any dish, whether you're grilling, baking, broiling, braising, sauteing, or stir-frying. Primal Blueprint listeners can get their favorites 20% off when they use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout.